episode five of The Complete Kishlovsky. I am Matt Gasteyer, and here, as always, with my co-host, Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Um, There's about 2,000 people in front of my house screaming at me to come out so that they can kick the shit out of me, but I'm hoping that... uh, I, I told them I would have... Uh, an answer for them in two hours so i'm hoping that calms them down well Well, that would be the first time we've ever done a show in under two hours so that's uh (laughs) that'll be pretty impressive by all standards that's what they called me out on that they did yeah (laughs) um we we have a third person uh today per usual and uh it's a first time uh first time guest for us mr matt schley hello matt how you doing hello i am great thank you for having me yeah thanks for coming on um I really enjoyed your uh, series, which I hope will be continuing on John's show, Film Baby Film. Uh, you're doing a uh, 80 films around the world uh, series on your site, Cinexcentric. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about that for the listeners and tell everybody uh, who you are and what you're doing on this podcast? Uh, sure. I'm actually, uh, mostly I'm just a person that watches movies and then talks about them on Facebook. Uh, and then I occasionally write a thing, com, like you said. Uh, I have talked to John about my Around the World in 80 films where I will pick a movie from a sort of underexposed uh, country and sort of write about the history of film in that country, talk about the movie a little bit, and then John and I have kind of gone back and gone into deep dives on some of them. We do have plans for some more. That's great. I, yeah, I hope um, that's not a spoiler of his podcast. But <laughs> no, I, what? what uh, how many? How many countries are you up to now? Let's see. I've done probably five or six. I have another one that I'm that I'm finishing up now. Um, Tajikistan. Oh, cool. Uh, nice. It it started out. The aim was to do it once a month, and then it seems to be developing into more of whenever I have time. <laughs> so. I'm a little bit delayed right now. Maybe I'll try to get a quick turnaround on the next one. You couldn't just pull off, pull off your shelf one of the many Tajikistan movies that you have in your collection? <laughs> Honestly, the problem, well, the problem can be finding the movie. It takes a lot of research, but then once I've found one, it's not that hard to watch it. It just becomes right. then I then I have to research enough that I feel like I'm not just spreading some false narrative about some country that I've sure. never been to. Well, and also, you like it's one thing to find movies from these places, but I assume you don't speak a lot of these native languages, so you also have to find something that is subtitled. So it is that's an very extra, challenging to yeah, find something that is subtitled step. from some of these countries. And I have given up before, and I have found a single movie before, watched it, and said that was terrible. I can't write about that, and I have to find something <laughs> else. I won't say the name of the movies because I don't want to disrespect anyone, but there have been a couple of movies that it's like, yeah. nope, I can't do that one. Oh, that must be that. that. Yeah, you can't have that be the only representation of the whole right. film culture, right? I always want to be positive because I'm trying to, you know, you should go watch a movie from this other country, so I don't want to say, well, this was terrible. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, well, I mean, I definitely admire uh, the the project. It's um, It's one thing to get out of our comfort zones with weird genres or uh you know um extreme movies in one direction or another but um there's there's something really unique about the opportunity to learn something about 
a different part of the world and um, a different, you know, uh, a different culture's use of uh, this medium that we all came here tonight to talk about. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's a great project. I hope people uh, check out your your writing on it. And those those two episodes that you've done with John have been great. The first one was on, um, was it was it Laos? Cambodia. Cambodia. That's right. I'm sorry. And then uh, and then Thailand. Uh, so, yeah, they were they were great listens. Thank you. And now we can have an Indiana Jones red line flying you all the way to Poland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I've got my I've got my Polish vodka in hand. Poland is actually a pretty uh, built up film industry uh, over the years. Um, so you might you might skirt around them as you're uh, as you're approaching Europe if you do approach Europe at all uh, in your journey. So uh, this is a nice little detour for you, and you can. You can relax in 1970s Poland. I was I was saying saying this weekend that like I kind of I I want to say like uh, there should be a saying that's like I'm I'm smoking like a Polish Polish person in the 1970s or something. There's so much smoking in this movie. <laughs> yeah, you wonder if the state sponsored cigarettes were free because they yes. just need to get rid of them or something. I mean, <laughs> we've just we've watched a lot of smoking in this season there's just a not it's a non-stop barrage of smoking i mean it's not like there people weren't smoking in 1970s american movies either so i shouldn't be one to talk um we're here to talk about short working day though um which is um i i was thinking probably the least known of kishlovsky's uh narrative features uh it's there's not a ton of writing about it online um, it gets about a page or two in um, a lot of the the books talking about uh, Kieślowski's overall output. Um, Matt, as you mentioned before our recording, uh, Kieślowski himself uh, has not had very kind things to say about it uh, along the lines of the uh, the things that he said about the scar. Um, and in the in the essential pocket book of uh Kieślowski, which is the this a series uh that that writers have done on um major movies in uh in artists careers um the each film is rated on a scale of uh one to five for the you know the writer uh their opinion of each of the films and short working day gets a zero what? That's crazy. <laughs> Who gave it a zero? That guy's a jerk. <laughs> it's a woman, Travis. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, this is not uh, this is not the uh, we're not we're not covering Decalogue here. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting stuff in here. Um, but before we get to it, um, I just want to ask you, Matt, what your uh, opinion of Kieślowski is, what your relationship is with his films, uh, how you came to him, and then sort of how that's evolved as you've seen more of his work. So I first came to Kieślowski through the Criterion Collection. I was thinking about it, and I believe uh, the Three Colors trilogy was the first box set that I ever bought. Uh, and I, It was a blind buy. I did not know of Kieslowski really other than hearing that his movies were really good so I bought it watched them watched all the way through them in a day loved them uh immediately moved on to Blind Chance and Double Life uh then stumbled upon a the Facets DVD set of Decalogue in McKay's which is a big uh 
like a used DVD and bookstore here in Nashville. And uh, just 100% sold when I watch Decalogue. That's kind of one of my, like, Desert Island, like, pinnacle works of cinema of all time. So I'm a big Kieślowski fan. I am not as well-versed on his early work. So this was kind of interesting because, to me, this is very transitional, which I think we'll get into. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, one of the reasons I asked you on here is I knew you had the box set that this is included on. Um, yes, I have three because... releases of Decalogue. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is this is one of the uh, the television works that is included on the Arrow Decalogue box, which is uh, now out of print and. Uh, Within the past month or so, Arrow has announced that they are putting Decalogue back out without these films. Um, Personnel, actually, it's um, First Love, right, Travis? And is Pedestrian Subway on it as well? Uh, I think so. uh, Yes, Pedestrian Subway, First Love, uh, this one. Personnel and The Calm. Yeah, The Calm, that was the other one. So three of the five films that we've covered so far are currently uh, out of print. Um, I, I think there were kind of rumors that somebody else has the rights to them and will be putting them back out. So hopefully people will be able to see these movies. Um, yeah, I hope so. His television work is, you know, I know a lot of people say television movie, but the Decalogue was a television movie as well. So, you know, open yeah. up your minds. Watch some it's cool true. Polish television movies. It's true, yeah, and and it's actually interesting because um, this movie was made, uh, according to Kieślowski, sort of concurrently with uh, the next film that we'll be talking about, Blind Chance. Um, so I don't think it was a a, a case, and, and actually the composer of this film uh, worked on Agnieszka Holland's debut film the same year. I don't think that these movies were necessarily considered to be thought less of because they were being put on tv um and i don't think that that they put any less work into them um i think kishlovsky certainly felt like the calm uh was a more successful film than the scar uh from his perspective so i think in general uh there's no reason to approach these films any differently than the films that um, were released in in the theater. I mean, after all, we're watching all of these on TV anyway. <laughs> ultimately, um, and and this movie actually uh, was uh, when was prevented from being aired on TV when it uh, was first completed. Um, it and it was actually only shown uh, in theaters uh, for fifteen years. Um, in sort of cine clubs and at private screenings. Um, that was the only way to see this movie until after Kieślowski's death. He was actually preventing it from being aired on TV. Um, and so only after he died did they show this movie. Uh, and it was in 1996, which is uh, t- the 20-year anniversary of when the main section of the events in this movie take place. Um, <clears throat> before we get into... Uh, talking about the movie, um, I did want to talk about the final two documentaries that he made um, because uh, I think they both are, are pretty solid uh, films. Um, Matt, I know you watched them as well. Um, so 
yeah, I was, uh, let, let's start with, um, with railway station or actually, you know, let's start with talking heads. Um, what did you think of, of talking heads, Matt? This is, this is a movie that I, I'll just set it up quickly. This is a movie that, um, basically goes backwards in chronological order, um, with, uh, by, by date of birth, interviewing Polish citizens about, uh, when they were born, who they are, and what they want, uh, and uh, the the implication is what they want in life, uh, and so it starts with a, a child that's only about two, and goes all the way back to uh, someone who is a hundred. Um, what did you think of this movie, Matt? I thought it was uh, a really interesting little documentary. Um, I, I mean, really kind of honing in on the sort of different ways that people approached the question of what they want and seeing some people respond with, you know, sort of personal goals like jobs and, you know, things like that, wealth, self-improvement, and then other people moving into more of like macro, like societal things. Like I want everyone to love each other and I want everyone to cooperate. Um, and then, certainly the ending with the at the end there's an elderly woman and she said she's 100 years old and she just wants to live longer and i'm sure that there's a whole other level of like society in poland that i could probably delve into if i knew more about it but even just on a sort of humanist perspective i thought it was really interesting yeah i i agree with you like there's it's it was a fascinating little study, and I think the variety of answers from that simple question of what do you want uh, made, uh, you know, and the choices, the, the ones he chose to include in the documentary, because I'm sure he, you know, interviewed many more people than the ones that appeared here. Um, it, it made it, it really kind of painted a beautiful picture of uh, Poland at that time and the hopefulness and the ideals that, uh, a lot of people were seeking like especially after like watching something like uh the uh viewpoint of a uh from a night porter's point of view it was a nice juxtaposition from that where he's so wanting the old ways wanting everything back that way even like to the point where violence has ruled to kind of teach everyone a lesson and then you have this which uh, generally is way more hopeful in this concept of, you know, what is it we want? And as the youth progress and we get into older and older people, you can see some of that kind of, of eke in, but mostly it's just this idea that they want, you know, happiness and security and health, and they want other people to feel the same way, which, uh, you know, this, which kind of blends right into the solidarity movement at the time. Yeah, I mean, I was very moved by this movie, and I I think just knowing what these people had lived through, you know, I think it, it was this combination of just being um, beaten down so much and yet trying so desperately to uh, break free of it. Um, you know, as you got, as they got older, there was this feeling of just, it, it was almost this this graph of you know with this arc where it was this as people got older they got more and more socially conscious and really focused on just freedom what it meant to be free what you know what they could 
hope to encounter in their lifetime. And then, as Matt said, you know, once you get to the tail end of that, it's just these people who basically lived through one of the most tumultuous periods in history, um, even in Poland, which is, you know, in the center of the um, chaos of Europe. Um, it was it, it was a very, very um, intense experience to live through all of that within the span of 15 minutes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think this was, was a very... Um, beautiful movie and uh and very effective for for what it was and this was his uh last documentary there was according to the liner notes a second uh one of these made in the 2000s i couldn't find any information about it online anywhere um but i'm also i also don't speak polish so um, maybe there's something out there, uh, and it's available, um, only in Polish, but, um, yeah, this, this was, um, a, a pretty good documentary. Um, the one that he made before that, I think was a little bit more in line with the rest of his films. It was, um, a lot more identifiable as a Kieślowski film. And, uh, as you mentioned on some previous episodes, Travis, this was the movie that, uh, led to him uh, no longer making documentaries, and that's uh, Railway Station. Um, Travis, what if you want to set this up a little bit and just what what you thought of it? Yeah, it's a uh, this is a documentary just about the uh, newly well, more predominantly used uh, public transit uh, station, um, and you know they've upgraded it some. There's some new lockers. There's some things, and it's just kind of like watching people coming and going uh, and waiting and, you know, moving their luggage from here to there, entering trains, saying goodbye. It's just kind of like this, you know, it's that idea of uh, the joy of just kind of hanging out at a place where people are at their, either their worst or their best when they're uh, rushed and frantic trying to get someplace and they're frustrated, but also that moment of, you know, happiness at seeing someone they hadn't seen for a while as they pick someone up from the station or saying goodbye to someone and how tearful that can be. It was really kind of poignant and beautiful. And then we slowly start to pull out and see more and more cuts of, uh, uh, you know, monitoring cameras. And then we realize the point of view of all this activity has been from that of a security guard watching everyone, which leads you to believe, you know, is this is this for safety or is this just the, uh, the man watching, you know, monitoring everything and everything you do, which, uh, you know, kind of bleeds into what the future of like a cold war state that, the you know, Poland becomes later in the, uh, later in their, uh, in their future. Um, I, I like this. I thought this was, uh, also once again, like, his documentaries just got more and more masterful as he got away from the concepts of just people talking and recording that and started really interjecting uh, this artistic uh, flavor to his shot choices, his editing style, um, you know, the juxtaposition of sound versus image. Uh, you know, it was really starting to, you know, from the last one, which was a seven seven women of different ages to this one to even the uh uh the uh talking heads like they're just like he's really putting together something that is uh elevated in the turn in the field of documentary at that time and you know it's a shame that he 
he uh, he decided to stop, but I can understand why. This film was confiscated as they were leaving the station after a night of filming because uh, the police were investigating a murder. Um, a young lady had killed her mother, chopped her up, stuffed her into some suitcases, and threw those suitcases in those new coin-operated lockers that I just mentioned. Um, and the police confiscated his film, developed it, watched it, and then gave it back to him because he actually didn't capture anything of any value at that time. It wasn't the right night or whatever. But just that fact that he could have been a part of a system in which he was reporting on someone to the police and being a part of the police state of that time uh, really, really affected him. It really made him want to... Uh, you know, he just bristled at that concept and he just bailed. He says, I'm not doing this anymore because I never want anything that I'm doing to affect someone else's lives in that manner. And I don't want ever want to be someone who reports on someone uh, inadvertently. I don't want to cause damage to people's lives. And he really kind of pushed forward uh, into being just a narrative uh, filmmaker from then on. Uh, Matt, what'd you think of the, uh, Matt Schlee? What'd you think of this? <laughs> Matt <one>? S. <laughs> Matt S. <laughs> I, I thought you put it very eloquently. Um, all I can think to add to that is we sort of open on there's this broadcast, like I guess government sponsored broadcast playing, which kind of put me in the, and maybe just because we're watching Short Working Day, but put me in the mindset of Kieślowski's political commentary. And, you know, the the thing that stood out to me is this sort of rigid bureaucracy of even just the train station and people interacting at the ticket counter. And then ultimately, as you said, Travis, kind of backing out until we get to this monitoring that's happening of everyone and so, you know, I don't know if this was meant to be kind of a, a microcosm critique of overbearing, you know, government systems, but that was my reading. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is a pretty blunt movie. Um, I think I thought it was also interesting how the the sort of newspeak propaganda that was being broadcast on TV was being was interrupted by the announcement of a delayed train Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the, there's, there, there's a clear, um, perception of efficiency that, that this government is trying to create both through their propaganda and through building a train station like this, um, which, you know, no doubt was part of the, um, process of economic expansion through the seventies the that Poland, uh, tried to, um, kickstart their economy and turn into, uh, an international, um, uh, not powerhouse, but sort of work on the international level and ultimately was unsuccessful in that, um, in that mission and, uh, which resulted in the, the strikes depicted in short working day. Um, but, but this is, uh, this is the reality of living here that, you know, there is a perception that is trying to be put out there of what it's like to live in Poland. But in reality, what it's like to live in Poland is to be watched all the time. And for your government, the supposed government uh, that was created by um, your fellow comrades, um, 
to make sure that you stay in line. Um, even when you are traveling somewhere, sleeping, saying goodbye to a loved one, uh, the cameras are always watching you. Um, and I, I, I think there, there was a through line between this movie and short working day too, in the way that television is used, which I I'm sure we'll get Mm -hmm. into, but, um, there, there is something really interesting about the use of television in both short working day and the calm, which were his last two, um, TV movies, uh, before, before Decalogue, um, in that there, there's sort of this surreal feeling of, um, you know, the, the people, it's almost like, uh, it's that very like weird eighties. What's that? Max, max, uh, headroom. Is that what, <laughs> <laughs> like there's this weird feeling of like the face on the television watching you and, um, and there's something surreal going on, um, that you, that, you know, you, you're sort of, it's sort of subliminal. Um, and that, that definitely shows up here and, and I think leads into, uh, this film, which, um, well, I mean, I, I think let's just get the, to, to go into short working day, let's, let's get the kind of overall initial takes on the movie. Uh, we'll start with you, Matt. What, what did you think of this movie? Well, I, I hate to uh, disappoint Kieslowski, but I don't agree with his opinion. I actually, uh, <laughs> I, I found it to be a pretty interesting and enjoyable experience. Uh, certainly not top tier, but, you know, it, it sort of brought me to the the same mindset that I would get to when I'm watching a Costa Gavras movie, mm. maybe, but but pulling back to the perspective of the bureaucracy, whereas Costa Gavras usually is in the sort of mode of the, you know, the rebel. Um, and with more sort of moral ambiguity, particularly as we regard our protagonist, um, I think it's appropriate that this movie was made alongside Blind Chance because we're, and again, I haven't seen all of his early works, but to me, we're sort of getting all of this political frustration he's getting it all out of his system here kind of at the end of that phase of his career and then sort of stops talking about politics and then in future interviews we see him sort of disregarding art that has to do with politics also as i continued to kind of watch the movie and watch you know go back to certain scenes to prepare i started to find it more and more kind of funny like he throws little jokes in there you know he's got this goofy little sort of number two guy who gets beat up by some protesters and just sits in a in a small room for the entire movie and you just see him every few minutes uh you know you've got you've got your secretary who's your sort of bureaucratic leader and he's just trying to figure out how to operate a microphone or a megaphone to go and shout at the protesters you know there's there's like this little kind of kishlovsky like wink like something dramatic is happening but it's a little bit funny too so i i think overall i enjoyed it yeah, there's a fallibility in his characters, which uh, is pretty is pretty fun. Like, there's always that bit of Rai uh, taking them down a notch, which I think humanizes his characters quite often, especially someone like this bureaucrat who, if, you know, if you're to levy anything really negative about this, it's hard to kind of side with him in terms of kind of what's going on, even though, 
you know, he tries hard with making him kind of, uh, at the beginning of the movie, we, we start with his life very early where he's, uh, recognized for, uh, doing something, some sort of great work or making some sort of fantastic comments, which later puts him in a position to get elected and nominated as a secretary, uh, uh, secretary of the, uh, Polish United Workers Party. And then we flash forward to him on TV going and telling us about the day in question, which became a short working day for him because of, uh, the protest movement that started. So, uh, it is, it is, I agree with you about Matt, about the fact that it is better than what, uh, Kishlowski believes it to be. Um, I can see where, you know, as an artist, he would find like parts of it clunky or not working the way it, it should be. It does feel like a one, like a one room play, which, uh, mm. chances are is what it was. You know, we kind of don't leave that office very often. You know, and there's no reason to ever go anywhere except that office. He easily could have had that window opening up into that neighborhood, right. you know, onto that plaza, and it still would have worked. Um, you know, adding some dyna- you know, dynamic uh, entrance and exits and long hallways of, uh, you know, stacked people and uh, a big crowd out front, um, you know, definitely opened up the film a bunch. But I can see, I can see how he might not have liked it artistically. But as a film in itself, I thought it was it was really interesting. It was uh, compelling. It almost felt like his uh, other documentary. Uh, uh, what I what I did? No. Uh, what was the one with the one guy? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it had that kind of like, here's I don't know, but here's a stage play of it where you have the same kind of character trying to make his way through this bureaucratic kind of stuff while also trying to decide where his future lies. You know, is he with the people because he is the secretary of the Polish United Workers Party or is he with the bureaucracy, which is telling him just run away, go hide. And later we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the fallout later. This is all going to blow over. Don't, don't worry about things. You know, he has opportunities to pick a side and he kind of just falters in the middle there trying to negotiate between the two, which is what his job should be. You know, he's the person between the upper the upper echelon of the uh, of the party and then the actual workers. And uh, it, it becomes really tense, really claustrophobic, and it has some great. Uh, some great moments in it. Um, Matt, what was uh, Matt Gastar? What what is your what are your thoughts and opinions about this movie before we got start getting deeper into some of the themes and ideas? Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think there's a lot of uh, great things here. Um, and yeah, it's not... Nobody's going to call this a masterpiece and it probably would be largely forgotten if it hadn't been made by Kieślowski. Um But I was fully entertained through the very brief uh, running time of the film uh, and I watched it again uh, this afternoon and enjoyed it uh, just as much if not more I felt like I found a lot more of those funny things that Matt was talking about um, I mean even just the title is pretty funny <laughs> when you think yeah. about it I mean it when when I heard short working day okay it's about striking workers I figured it was referring to the workers but it becomes pretty clear <laughs> as you're watching the movie that it you know well honey i i, I came home early today <laughs> and i mean 
he he really um you know he really sticks with this guy um through through the movie and it's interesting too to c- contrast this with the scar because the scar is so much about that official's personal life and it's so much about him um you know moving away from uh pr- from public service uh being in the party um this movie it's 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 so tightly focused on his office and i think you're right travis that this is uh, a movie that could be easily translated into a one-room play um but the the parts that i really liked the most were him sort of stalking through these empty hallways you know there's one person peeking out of their office uh afraid to uh encounter what what he has to deal with um and I, I, I really liked the just the production design of the movie. Um, you know, I'm sure it was just some random office that they found, but uh, it just felt so real and lived in. And you know, the cushioned doors and yeah, the, the padded red doors. Yeah, and the swivel chairs and the giant picture of Lenin with uh, you know in one room with the the Polish cross in the other room, and then. Um, the bust of Lenin, which he like picks up and realizes that like he doesn't want to be he like, want someone beat to, to hit death him. with it. Yeah, so he, <laughs> it up so he hides it. Yeah, um, just like yeah, the really great stuff. The sea of phones on his desk and the just wood really, paneling doors yeah. that are just like blended in, so you don't know where anything is. Yeah, it really just un- underscored like the you know how how cloistered he is um, from these people that uh you know that are sweeping down his street um and for for people who who uh well obviously we're getting into spoilers here everybody so uh there's not a ton to spoil in this movie um this is based on true events um it's set in the uh the city of uh radom which is um about an hour south of warsaw um it was this was a real story this guy is uh at the beginning they say that he's based uh he's not that none of these characters are based on anybody but there was a real secretary here who really did promise the crowd uh a decision in two hours even though he had been told by the higher-ups that there wasn't going to be any decision um and that they, that they would continue to raise pr- food prices anyway. Um, so these pro- protesters came in protesting the, this giant food increase, 76% increase in the cost of food. Um, and they eventually um, broke into the office. Uh, there, were, there were riots. People didn't expect this city, the government didn't expect this city to be the center of the riots. And so there weren't enough police there initially. They had to bring in reinforcements. Um, 200 people ended up being injured. A couple people were killed. Um, so it, it was, it was, and it, it sort of kick-started the solidarity movement that um, would take power um, as this uh, movie was being made. And um, yeah, I thought it was really funny. In real life, this, the, the secretary goes out into the crowd as opposed to... Um, uh, as opposed as opposed as opposed to leaning out um into the um 
you know, in out of the window with the bullhorn like he does in the movie. Ah, so okay. in real life, he went into the crowd like his like his assistant did, and refused to talk to them because they were a mob. Uh, so they um, they undressed him and left him only in his underpants. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and then he came back inside and told them, came back out and told them that they would have a decision in two hours. Um, so it was so, a shorts working day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that one was better. That was better than the last time. Yeah, was. that was horrible last time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think... Um, I think that where this movie... I think where Kieslowski was frustrated with this movie... My guess is that it came out of um, a feeling that the movie didn't have a strong enough perspective on what is happening here. And I think in a lot of ways, the movie lacks the kind of insight that the subject probably demanded in Poland at that time, because this is a significantly charged thing to make a movie about in Poland um, in 1981. It would kind of be like making a movie about the riots in 1995 or 96 um, and the LA riots, I should say, um, and uh, in 96 and not, um, and having it be like from the point of view of a um, administrative police officer in the LA police headquarters the whole time. Um, it just, it, it feels like you, if you're going to do this kind of a movie, you need to be making a point about it. And I'm not necessarily sure what that point is. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about what you guys uh, think about that, but it feels a little bit like you can go either way with this guy. You can kind of look at him as this hack who, you know, got what he deserved. Um, and you know, he's just an ineffectual doofus through the rest, through the whole movie. Or you can look at this as a person who is put in a middleman position because he has genuinely, he's genuinely able to express, you know, interesting thoughts or whatever you want to call the beginning of the, the film. Um, but, ultimately he's put in a powerless position and he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, and I think that kind of, um, moral ambiguity makes for, uh, a frustrating, a little bit of a frustrating viewing now, but I'm sure an insanely frustrating viewing in 1981 Poland. Well, and I think to add to just, just from reading what Kieślowski said about this, I think his concern in addition to that was that peep that this was a specific event and that people who didn't live this event wouldn't necessarily connect you know even if it was a compelling story wouldn't connect with this particular protest um i did think that the ambiguity personally some of my favorite moments like there's a moment where cuz we we have some voiceover of the secretary's sort of inner struggle to figure out what he wants to do. And one of my favorite moments is he has this thought process where he says, you know, these are just hooligans who are just trying to stir up trouble. And then he 
like immediately the next sentence is, oh, but maybe they're just workers who are trying to feed their family, you know, whatever. Like it's this immediate, like he, he really, I think, you know, Kieślowski makes a comment and I don't know if you, if you, I'm sure you read in the booklet, the Kieślowski on short working day and it might've been from Kieślowski on Kieślowski. Uh, it is. Yeah. Book. Yeah. Um, but you know, he sort of addresses that the public view of these party secretaries was that they were basically useful idiots. And so, you know, we have this kind of guy who's not prepared to be in this position of making this pivotal decision while he's got violent protesters outside and top-tier government decisions that are not going to move for his safety, and they're just telling him to leave. And I think there's some genuine conflict in this sort of naive idea that he has any power over this situation. Um, you see him make a comment about, you know, when, when he's getting ready to uh, address the protesters and he's on the phone with, you know, whoever's above him and he, they say, you know, ask him if he's going to be okay. And he says, oh, I've spoken in front of large groups before. And I took that as, you know, he's spoken in front of the friendly, you right. know, bureaucrats <laughs> who clapped for him because he's a, he's a fall in line with the party and he is not prepared to go and speak to a group of hostile protesters that are about to break in and start burning the furniture. No, I I totally agree. Um, it it felt it, it, he definitely felt out, completely out of his element, and I think that's kind of where some of the comedy comes in. I mean, another moment that I found really funny was you know, once he's concocted this scheme to buy him some time uh, to get an answer, uh, he starts to basically pretend that everybody has agreed to this time uh, this deadline that he has uh you know basically pulled out of his ass and he calls up the the higher ups to be like so what's going to happen with this deadline we created and the <laughs> higher ups are like we know you you created yeah. that well, there is no deadline <laughs> and i mean it, it's really he's really um you know in his own mind uh at this point and that that that's where like the stocking the hallways really comes in for me. Like it feels like uh, this thing where, where he's just, he has no idea what to do or where to go. Um, and the, the only thing he can sort of hold on to is his position. Um, but at the same time, like the, the, the mob people, like the individuals who um, he brings in for his call, where he basically just says what they want him to say and then hangs up before the the superiors can respond to him. They once they break off from the mob, they 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 sort of are are anointed by the mob to come in and be the representatives of the striking workers to make sure that he actually does call these people. But once they're inside the building, they seem as lost and unsure of what to do as he does, as he is. And they, and, and they almost, it's almost like they broke off of this giant group and then they just became another, just sort of adrift person who's unable to conceive of how to alleviate these problems that they're facing. And in fact, when they go back into the mob, the mob just says, forget you we don't believe you <laughs> and there's just no way to i mean 
sort of rightfully so because these people are are angry and frustrated there's just no way for them to convince them that there's nothing that this guy can do and they're they're sort of just you know throwing rocks at tanks at this point yeah it's a it's almost as if uh no one has ever treated them this way it's like oh wait so seriously we're gonna make a phone call together and you're gonna prove and they kind of all just look at each other stunned and then like all right well here you three you go up there and everyone's unsure of what to do and can cannot believe it and uh yeah, that uh, it it provides for a comic moment where they're all just kind of staring at each other, like, yeah. oh, what next?" And well, then they is... go to the window and they yelled, "Yeah, we don't believe you." No, seriously, I'm, yeah, <laughs> you remember me? You just picked me. <laughs> nah, we're all set. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna knock this car over now. Well, I mean, this this whole movie is kind of like when you call up the company that's being terrible, and you get the person <laughs> on the line, and you try to explain to them why they're terrible and the person is like dude i just work here i (laughs) i don't even work here they're contracting me i i make five dollars an hour i can't help you and you have nobody you just have no longer have anybody to get mad at because you can either scream at this person who makes me like who makes no money and gets yelled at all day um or you can just hang up the phone and and continue to get screwed by the company because they're you're not going to get in your car and drive to the ceo's house and egg it or something it's just that that just takes too much time and energy and you have to go to work tomorrow you know what i mean like it's just this there's it's a it's a it's an empty gesture um i mean i guess the as i say that i mean it, it did something did come out of this there were enough riots and uh there was enough protesting that at least um you know it it started something of course it took four years for it to turn into anything but um there there was something there but it is in this moment the idea that they're going to get anything out of keeping this guy hostage or even burning the building down it's it's a pretty pretty slim chance it does feel a lot like the the you know the unknown man standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. Now, here's a when I watch this movie, uh, one of the immediate parallels I drew uh, thematically and style wise, especially with the soundtrack being as uh, almost uh, dissonant and kind of uh, just kind of it, it felt like a horror movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this, it, it felt a lot like there was some like shining elements to it, and the zombie horde coming to the door and kind of <laughs> yeah. like holding them at bay. And everyone's some people have escaped, and other people have you know hold up. You know, the guy comes back in, his tor- clothes have been torn off, and he kind of puts him in another room. And the other guy comes back after he's been on fire, and it just kind of had that same kind of beats and elements of a horror movie. This disembodied voice on the other end of a phone kind of, you know, telling him like he needs to get out of there, but he's ignoring it. And the television is warning of all these things that are about to happen and what's as the world burns around him kind of thing. And uh, it felt it had lots of beats and lots of it just had this underlying feeling of that kind of just that that you know i i i understood the uh when uh, Matt S was talking about how it uh 
felt a little bit like a, a Costa Gavras uh, film. Um, I, I wrote that down too in my notes, but then I also kind of was like, man, this feels just like a really subdued bureaucratic assault on Precinct 13. Like just there's this unknown element outside that he's he can't stop this zombie horde that is just you know it can't it can't you know there's nothing mm. you can do except for pretend to be one of them and push a desk out of a door and and pretend to just wander off through their numbers until he can escape it's a uh, it has it, it really felt like that to me and i thought that was really interesting cuz it's so tonally different from everything else he's done when you kind of put it under that lens um, you know, the humorous elements are definitely there, and I think they're there in a lot of his early films, just the absurdity of everything that's going on in terms of the bureaucratic process. But I don't know, there's this underlying tension, claustrophobia, and the soundtrack really kind of played into that. You know, it, it really had that shining, uh, you know, soundtrack type of... Uh, uh, chords and uh, notes and stings that I. Uh, well, yeah, is really that is that like a choral? Is the is the music? Yeah. Does it, it has like a mm. choral component to it, so that's very very horror like. Um, yeah, I mean the I, the the most striking image I keep thinking of as you're um, as you're talking, Travis, is the moment when he first hears the striking workers, uh, but mm. can't quite see them. He looks out onto the uh the road and they're in the distance coming towards him and it does feel like that that moment of like you know almost like in jurassic park of the of the um rippling water uh, as yeah. the t-rex approaches it's this feeling of like they're coming and there's nothing that we can do to stop them so we just need to brace ourselves and then i think the next time that we hear that sort of creepy operatic you know sort of score is when he the the guy who was set on fire is sitting in the room and he says, you know they're gonna hang you. Yeah, and you get yeah, that the gallows. That, yeah, that daunting shot of like the light pole. That, like, well, they could hang him from that, you know. And he says they're building it. You know, it's yeah. And the light post is shaking, and you're waiting to see someone shimmying up there to hang a rope, or mm-hmm. it. You know, he builds a lot of tension in that shot, and with that like odd, you know, that odd prophetic uh, dooms, you know. The, the the doomsayer that's in all the horror movies saying you're gonna die yeah yeah <laughs> you know the, had, that, and there was a lot comedy. of comedy in that scene too I mean he's so yeah. over the top that guy um, I mean both do, of them do you, got, like do you guys think and... that like that as the as an example of that um that light post shot do you think that that is intended to be a, a subjective sort of in his mind uh, view are we supposed to be looking at that through his eye, mind's eye um, and and I guess tie, tied into that uh, are the flash forwards that we see uh, there's four flash forwards that we see throughout the film do you guys feel like those are in his head or is that something that is sort of omniscient uh, viewpoints that we're seeing there For, speaking first to the uh, light pole shot to me he you know when we come back to him after that shot he says i don't see anything but he kind of has this look on his face of like he's trying to convince himself like no this is ridiculous this guy's just shaken up they're not going to try to hang me 
Um, so I think there probably is an element of him, like, are they going to hang me? Like, feeling like, is, is some harm going to come to him? Um, in terms of the sort of flashes forward to the protesters, you know, either facing consequences or eventually, you know, winning and, you know, finding yeah, out that it basically gets on. better for the protesters as the flashbacks go on. Right. Right. And, and we do at the, and I don't, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but we do sort of at the end see those sequences again as if they really happen. But I think maybe because of the order that we see them unfold in terms of at first it's very much consequences for the workers and then builds to the workers are going to get their way. I think maybe we're seeing him as somebody who's part of the bureaucracy sort of come to terms with the way that this is going to play out and realize that, oh, this is much more serious than I thought, and the police are not going to come and just arrest these people, and it's going to be over. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I definitely see... I can definitely see it in those terms. I can see it both as his imagination of what is going to happen to these people as he uh, comes in contact with them or directly, uh, you know, makes eye contact with them, with the guy in the audience who is... Uh, audience excuse me the guy in the (laughs) the crowd uh whistling at him and then you you know there's a freeze frame which is also pretty kind of uh in you know it it really draws the parallel of uh taking you know the the people who take pictures in the crowd so later they can report on them and uh arrest them uh for uh doing these types of things so you have that little flash freeze frame of that gentleman and then we cut to uh him being beaten by the police as he goes to jail um, but the one of those things that kind of make that sell that point of of is this in his mind is this kind of blue tone to those sections. Um, so the first the first pass through of all these people he sees as as they're being punished for what they've done. Um, they all have this kind of like blue cast to everything. They're uh, kind of monochromatic with this blue uh, blue color. Um, including that light pole, which I think is part of that, yeah. what ties it together. And as we start to realize that maybe these things did happen, but uh, it gets better for them as the new regime takes over, um, color is introduced. So when we see the guy that's in jail listening to the radio program, and then the next time we visit him, it's not that monochromatic blue tone. It has the normal... Uh, mm warm tones of the rest of the film and as he's getting good news that um they signed the paperwork and the the party has uh, been recognized and it's all good so there's definitely he's playing with that uh visual element of it whether it's in his mind of the main character or whether it's just the this is the old way and here's here's now the new here's the better way in which they're looking out for each other they're saving each other from these uh punishments for speaking up and speaking their minds and trying to organize and make things better for themselves. I can see that. I definitely can see that. Mal, uh, what's your thought on that idea that you brought up? Like, do you feel that it is in his head or do you think that is just a, uh, a story device that uh, Kishlowski is using? I think that it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think pretty much everything in the movie is from his perspective. So I think there is a little bit of that, um, 
it, like the movie is his story uh, mm-hmm. thing going on. It it, I, it struck me the first freeze frame struck me so vividly. I think because this is probably the most stylistic thing in Kieślowski's narrative features to date. It, it it feels so different, especially the the color change, the even the freeze frames than pretty much anything that has come before. Um, and I think that's also true of the opening here. The fact that we, we get these within the first five minutes before the title card, we get a moment in the 60s, a moment in the mid 70s, a moment in the early 80s, and then we go back after title to 76. It's very impressionistic for uh, what we've seen from him before. Um, And yet it's impressionistic and yet it's very finely constructed. I mean, even the the fact that the flashbacks, they don't happen at sort of um, equal intervals, but they do, uh, they are ordered in such a way that, you know, you, you start with with the protester getting beaten up, you you go to somebody um, being uh, put on trial, uh, and then all of a sudden it's someone uh, getting defense, uh, their defense paid for, and then it's somebody joining actually solidarity and working with them um, in an announcement. Uh, and so I, I, I mean, I guess it feels to me like it's him seeing flashes of it, but it's also really happening. Um, which I, I guess is a little weird. <laughs> it's not like a, yeah. you know, it's not realistic, but it, but it does feel like the same thing. Like he's almost sort of one in the same. And in fact, at the end, end of the movie and, um, I mean, we'll, we'll get there eventually, but he becomes television. Um, you know, he starts out in the movie at a de- at the top front of a table talking to a group of people group of officials and then he ends up at the end of the movie doing exactly the same thing only he's stuck inside of a television um on a te- in a television movie um which like just again it feels like Kieślowski is just like he he has this really weird relationship with TV and i i don't know like i don't know what it is but like yeah, and i think it was probably hard for us to figure out exactly what it is because I'm sure the experience of watching Polish television was something very specific in the seventies, um, that we probably can't fully understand because we won't be able to sit down every night and watch what is on Polish television from seven to midnight every night. Mm. But, but it does feel like, you know, not a coincidence that this guy is telling his story on TV in his TV movie. So I think it, I think it is kind of a merging of this character with the film itself. Isn't that kind of part of that thing? It's not true until it's on television. Right. And yeah. so him telling that story, which I can't... Sometime, I, I would need to watch it a third time because it wasn't until after the second time that I kind of started like trying to piece together whether his uh, narration of the events were... Um, truthful to what the visuals we were watching were. Oh yeah, um, I like it felt that way, but it felt like it was kind of sugar coated, a bit more vague than what was actually going on. So it seems like he's you know reporting on what the events happened to him. So he isn't held 
accountable, um, which uh, in his uh, Kishlavsky on Kishlavsky book, um, you know, it's crazy because you, uh, you know, I'm reading this. I'm reading this book as we go, trying not to skip ahead, just reading the, you know, movie by movie, and uh, I just, we you know, we just finished Camera Buff, and it was like a two-page little. This is what I talked about the movie. And then we get to a short working day, and it's like eight pages yeah. of him talking about it. It was quite a bit more than some of his other films to date. And, uh, you know, he had that really big idea of um, he didn't want... He didn't know how to get into the character, but he wanted to tell the other story. Because what ends up happening in all the cases as parties change place is no one's ever at fault because everyone says, well, I was a little bit of this, so I wasn't fully that. So I can't be held totally accountable because I wasn't that bad. And then no one really kind of goes to trial except for the people who were caught in unawares or weren't smart enough to play the game. And so it's it becomes interesting that he... You know he's aware of this, and he's he's very knowledgeable about this concept that you know he's been a part of two party system changes at this point, maybe three even. So he's, you know, we had the earlier riots, and we had another party change um, to this gentleman who then raised the uh, food prices ridiculously high, which led to another party change, and this upcoming party wasn't that great either, and so. You know him, him having that a bit of that knowledge and a bit of that experience of, um, especially during the uh, the Jewish outing when uh, they used the students to kind of uh, out all the Jewish uh, professors and teachers and use the students against them for that. And he felt really horrible and used that uh, that they kind of took advantage of their youth and their naivete and uh, used them to their means. I think, you know, he can see that, you know, there's probably a lot of people that try to kind of say, oh, I had nothing to do with that. I'm good. Like, uh, and so by having him be on TV telling that story and, you know, it's state TV. That's the other thing. We talked about that before. There's little T television and big T television, you know, and this is big T television. This is the state sponsored channels uh, showing this information. And most most polls at that time their only source of information was their television. So it is, I have to assume it played a huge part in their daily lives, um, especially some of the mm. less educated. And, right. Well, think uh, about in camera buff, they asked that, you know, when the, when the wife leaves, the woman asks him if, if she took the television with her and he says no. And she says, well, then she'll be back. Yeah, that's, it's, it's important. It's important to all of them, which is why I think, the quality of these television movies that we're talking about when we think of television movies a lot of time you know besides a small golden age in the in the you know the the 30s or 40 the uh, you know excuse me the 50s and then another little bit of a golden age in the 70s where they kind of really up the value of uh, the television movie of the week kind of things uh, television movies are usually frowned upon here cuz you know the the movie industry in the United States uh, poo-poo's TV because TV is the lesser art form because movies is the major art form. And I know there was a lot of that in some of the other European markets there. But in Poland, TV was kind of the thing. You know, there was more people watching TV than going to the cinema. So you could reach a wider audience quicker by making something of this nature. And then it just goes to show, like, 
this was a dangerous thing for people to see. Not only was it against the workers by having the viewpoint be of one of the secretaries and trying to sympathize with them, but, you know, so they shoveled that right off the shelf and uh, banned it and wouldn't allow it to be watched. And it only in retrospect when the next party came in and said, hey, let's show this. Let's show let's show this kind of thing. And he's like, nah, this movie was horrible. I hated it. I don't want to show it anymore. And so, you know, it, it, it really speaks to the power of that visual medium that he was fully embracing at the time because, you know, all of his stuff with the exception of a few films that went to film festivals, most of his stuff was made for the television at that point because it was an important staple of, uh, you know, Polish lives. The only other thing that sort of struck me in that area, what do you guys make of the sort of final omission of his television appearance, which is that he was scared? Like, to me, that is that is an unusual show of weakness you know, if if you're going to put this government bureaucrat on state-sponsored television, I, that's a surprising um, admission. I found that to be interesting because it was, I think, uh, the way I looked at that was kind of like he's trying to humanize himself to all these people that were basically against him. Because if you think about it, he represented kind of one of the problems. He was a gatekeeper to keep them from being able to have their voices be heard. Um, he was a filter. And he was a filter both ways. And so for him to kind of uh, finally kind of get truthful and uh, admit his weakness that he was scared, um, whether it, you know, um, whether it was scared of uh, his uppers kind of wanting to throw him to the wolves or from the protesters themselves, the movement coming along and fear, afraid for his life, afraid that they were going to take it that far. Um, uh, I think that's almost uh, more more humanizing and more uh, uh, connecting to the people who are watching it than if he was to just straight up apologize, which he never does. He just tells his side of the story. But I think that uh, finally admitting that he was scared of every of the events, uh, it, uh, it kind of humanizes him. And it's funny because it's that circular nature of this. You know, we just watched those documentaries in which it felt... Uh, that there's a circular nature to what he's doing now. Like he sees, he sees in more of a macro level the beginning and the ends of things um, as a as an artist. So the last three documentaries have a very uh, cyclical nature to them, in which they start over again or they uh, grow bigger to the point where we see where we're going with this, which then makes sense from the beginning. You know, we're watching it on a TV because we were watching TV at the beginning. And same with this, uh, you know, we're hearing about the riots. He walks in, he shuts the TV off because he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea. He doesn't want people to get uh, bothered. So he's basically censoring the information to his underlings at that table to kind of keep people on the level. And then at the end, it's the same thing. A bunch of people sitting around the same boardroom, same table, watching the TV, watching him admit uh his fears and his uh you know telling his side of the story but this time it's Kishlowski who kind of fades to black but we can still hear uh what is going on in the background which i find to be uh very interesting he's letting it kind of play out a little bit more than uh the predecessor did the uh the previous uh in 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 uh the previous uh version of this story which is uh which is really neat. It's a stylistically a cool choice, and I think you know not just cool, but 
you can see him making better choices as a as a filmmaker in terms of uh, his narrative uh, flow. Um, he's getting away from the documentary field. This has no documentary feel at all to it. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to some of his others, which still toyed with it. This is straight up like we're making a dramatic film with, you know, these, uh, these absurd touches, which I think is, you know, pretty much part of the Polish humor, just these kind of sweaty men and their, their foibles. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting because this is a, obviously based on a true story. It's maybe the most specifically based on a true story of any of his uh, films that we've uh, featured on these episodes anyway. Um, and yet it does feel the least like a documentary. Like, There's never a moment in this film where it feels like you are supposed to feel like you are there you know it always feels like it's either um some sort of uh surreal feeling of uh you know perception of what's happening or it's a very structured presentation of the claustrophobia and paranoia of this guy uh clamping down and there that you know he he talked about early in his career wanting his narrative features to be the smaller moments that didn't tell the story um and that were that felt most authentic um there's none of that fat here i mean we barely get any dialogue that is about anything other than what's happening um you know i mean uh, the closest you get to any truly personal information about this guy is that we know he quit smoking and so he's chewing on hard candies through the movie um, yeah. which again feels more like it's a commentary on the the prof- his professional um, situation than, than on any sort of um, personal experience that he's going through and in fact we don't even learn his name we have no names in this movie no, no one um, has a name in this yeah film, yeah absolutely fascinating because you're just kind of left you know it doesn't matter that kind of stuff doesn't matter because yeah. you know the mob is faceless and to them the bureaucrats are yeah faceless well, as well and it also ties into the idea of it not being anybody's fault right which i think mm-hmm. is where matt what you're talking about about being afraid you know, it kind of lets him off the hook a little bit. I mean, even though it shows weakness from a governmental perspective, for him, it's it's him saying, you know, I'm not responsible for this. I wasn't going to go out and um, beat all these protesters and fire on the crowd with live ammo. Um, I'm afraid that I'm the victim here. I'm the one that was trying to hold everything together, and these people tore it apart, so... You know, there's the you know, it's not my fault, um, and so I feel like it all comes back to just the idea that like there's like the 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 people who are really responsible for what's going on here are the faceless voice, you know, disembodied voices voices on the phone, you know, and by the way, those people are probably like the you know, if you got cornered them in a building, they would say, whoa, you want my boss. You don't want me. I'm not the person. Um, so, you know, it's always, there's always somebody, uh, higher up that, um, 
that is the the real culprit for what's going on and um you know th this person's just stuck in the middle let's talk about uh the overall kind of look of Kieślowski's movies these first uh five films that that we've watched Matt, I know you you haven't seen all of these but you've seen uh the majority of them anyway um I I feel like this movie does feel as we've mentioned different uh than those movies um both in terms of what style it has but also just kind of in terms of the fact that it has more of a style, a uh, definable style. Um, I feel like a lot in the first four films, there's a lot of um, focus on the narrative and the, um, the characters, the story that he's telling on screen, um, and less concern with the uh, the image, even necessarily the way he's showing what is conveyed on screen, um, and, and sort of just general, um, formal choices. It fe he feel, it feels like he's much more interested in sort of, uh, he, I, I don't think, I don't think Kieślowski wanted anybody to watch any of these movies and think that was a great place to put the camera. Yeah, I think I, I think at the time, like from you know, he was making his whole like uh, film school statement was you know, uh, documentary is the true film, the true art. Like you can't get better than real life, and being able to capture it and present it is is a calling, a vocation that is greater than anything else. And then as he starts to kind of really get into that and lose his. Uh, lose his wide-eyed wonder at that concept and start to see that there's things in there that are truly personal that he can't reflect properly or morally um without feeling bad about it in some way like seeing people cry or uh you know heartbreak or even romantic things having people have sex like those are things he can't capture as a documentarian and so he starts to kind of you know and then realize also he could tell stories or more allegories or symbolism and, and make points that he can't make in documentaries because then it hurts someone and uh, I think he didn't start developing some sort of style until I think he started watching other people's films. Uh, there's this, you know, sense from Camera Buff of, you know, if you take if you take the character in Camera Buff as as uh, Kieślowski, then you can see his progression of just kind of fly on the wall, throwing the camera around to the point where he starts paying attention to the world around him in the, in the cinema world and saying, Oh, let's watch this. Let's learn about that. And being a part of that kind of uh, collective and, and still being kind of attached to his school as well, that he kind of bounces in and out of to uh, give lectures and talks and he can. He still has uh, access to a lot of uh, world cinema that a lot of the uh, regular people, the regular uh, people in Poland, didn't have access to. So you can see that he's finally starting to employ some sort of uh, visual motif, like we we're talking about. Like this movie feels claustrophobic. It feels tight. Like there are like there are moments that that 
you feel the kind of tension in the frame where as before claustrophobia to him in a documentary was just close like just get the camera close and smoky and that's that's the feeling of being stuck in these horrible boardrooms while people are discussing the fate of all these workers and they're just kind of like tossing names around whereas in this film like there is a sense of design and structure to the visuals which help tell the story even more like we were talking earlier you know now we're saying things like oh look at the hallway and the way the doors are lined up and the way that like you know in the in the middle foreground someone pokes their head in and then just quickly snaps back into their room you know it could be comical but at the same time it's a it's a visual it's a very visual and in, intentional thing that he's doing. This isn't that fly-on-the-wall documentary stuff with a bunch of non-actors. This is him um, making a visual effort to convey something strongly. And I think why he didn't like it so much is because I think in his mind, he probably it was such a striking difference from his other films that it didn't sit well with him, didn't resonate with him the way that you know something like camera buff does where it still had the feeling of uh you know still had a bit of a documentary flavor in some sections and still kind of felt a little loosey-goosey this one felt like the camera was on a tripod sometimes it felt like it was on a dolly sometimes it didn't it, you know he was employing narrative and cinematic uh uh goals uh which uh, you know who is the the cinematographer is now uh, you know Shushtov uh, Pakulski, which uh, he, he you know he has employed and he employs further in in some of his other work and it, uh, it it really shows that he's kind of using a cinematographer to help tell his story as opposed to hand holding a camera himself. So I've only seen this one obviously camera person at, or um, camera buff excuse me. And uh, Pedestrian Subway. Okay. Which Pedestrian Subway, that was his first feature film, right? That's his first uh, narrative, yeah. It, it's, uh, I think it, it's only about 30 minutes long. Um, but yeah, it was the, his first, out of, out, of, um, out of film school, it was his first narrative uh, film that he made. Yeah, so, so we don't, we certainly do not see, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I do not recall any standout uh visuals in that one you know that that's sort of dipping his toes in filmmaking so i won't try to add to what you guys are saying because you're like living in this right now and <laughs> i have i've seen i think all of his feature films after this point and knowing where he's going i certainly buy into the idea that that the ramp up is starting to happen at this point yeah does this feel like i mean I, I've I've seen a lot of the the movies to come. I only have uh, one of these uh, that I haven't seen after this. Um, but uh, it's been a while for me. I mean, does does this feel like? Well, I, I guess the first I'll just ask as somebody who loves Decalogue. Does this feel like it's made by the person who would go on to make Decalogue to you? That's a good question. I think. I always sort of, and maybe this is because my early experiences with Kieslowski were the films that were put out by the Criterion Collection, and so my, until this 
box that came out, and obviously I have not explored it as much as I should have um, by this point, but my perception, my early perception of early Kieslowski was always sort of marked by blind chance. And Mm. so I tend to think of this sort of political voice in in a certain frame of Kieslowski's career. But I think he artistically takes a lot of big steps to get to Decalogue and yeah. certainly to those that last run of films before he passed. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's interesting in reading about this movie um, and the fact that, that Blind Chance was made at the same time. He mentions, and I'm sure this is something we will talk about on the next episode in more detail, but he mentions that he shot quite a lot of Blind Chance, uh, about 80%, he said, and... Um, then decided that he did not like the direction that it was going and he took some time off and then went back and reshot a good bulk of that 80% and then added on I think he said he ended up shooting re, reshoot the reshoot ended up being about half of what made it into the final film and I was wondering as I was reading that if he started on I I don't know the order because he he claims that he finished editing these movies around the same time, but that he, um, I was curious to know if he had, had made this movie in that interim in between. Um, because I mean, blind chance conceptually is such a departure from his previous movies. Um, and this movie feels more in line in terms of subject matter with his earlier films, but it does feel uh, like like a sort of key moment. Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, um, The Scar was the film where he was working through thematically his transition into his later period. Um, the uh, camera buff was the... Um, his, his sort of personal artistic transition into his later period and this feels like his technical transition um where he is thinking a little bit more about how he's putting together his movies and how that informs um the overall experience of the film um because i think he always had a good eye with the camera um and i think i think that came a lot out of his documentary work i'm sure but I don't think that he, it, I don't feel like he f- spent a lot of time prepping for the experience of shooting. Um, you know, I, I can't say that for sure, but it, it feels like it was a little bit of a, let's, let's shoot this scene and see what we get. And, you know, that'll be yeah. it. Yeah, there's a very looseness to it. Like you guys act, and I'll just try to catch his catch yeah. can with my camera, because that's his that documentary feel, and that's what he knew. And yeah, he definitely. This is a super huge. Like this is a good progression towards what eventually you know become the thing that everyone knows him for, which is this strong visual style to everything he does, and uh, I think that's why that's one of the reasons why. And I've said this before, and I'll probably echo it many a times. Uh, I just love 
what we do on this podcast because we do get to see just such amazing steps and growth in a director as they move through their career. You know, it's it's all well and good to just talk about the most important films of a director's career, but I think, you know, as a person who enjoys uh, just the 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 large breadth of someone's uh breadth of someone's career um to watch them grow and change is just as fascinating to me to watch the stumbling blocks and the hurdles that they've kind of put in front of themselves and how they overcome them to become the filmmaker and those films that everyone considers masterworks I, i find that to be just as fascinating and so to see a film like this one which he completely hated and to say, well, dude, there was so much value in this that I don't think you, you realize because all you see is your flaws, whereas the rest of us are just seeing these uh, these fantastic ideas and uh, concepts take sprout and grow out of those cracks that he keeps on pointing out. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much to take out of this movie. Um, but it's also just, it is a very entertaining film i mean i i think all five of these movies he he's really able to um maintain an engaging narrative um across a pretty wide range of subject matters um and i obviously that continues through his career i mean i think that is another aspect of him um you know decalogue is thought of as I think a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a chore, but I, certainly an, an, a, an emotional um, uh, challenge. Um, I don't know. I don't know. How, I, there's, a, there's probably a better phrase for, for that, but it, 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 it takes a lot out of you. It's a tough watch, um, especially specific episodes that I'm, I'm thinking of. But, um, and, then, and then Three Colors is thought of as this sort of like artistic, uh, you know, masterwork that's um, you know, the height of, uh, cinema, cinematic sophistication, but like, these are for the most part, like pretty right down the middle, entertaining audience pleasing films, even if they're heartbreaking and, you know, difficult because of their, uh, because of the intense emotional turmoil. Um, he was, he was right from the beginning, a director who was able to sort of grip you and keep you engaged, um, regardless of the movie. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is just that Polish cinema at this point was kind of, um, entering a bit of a peak. There were a lot of major directors working at this time. Um, Zulowski was making a lot of really great movies leading up to possession. Um, Andrzej Vaja um, won the Palme d'Or the year that that he was that he made this film in Blind Chance um, with Man of Iron, which is um, kind of hard to see. I think there is a DVD out there. I haven't been able to watch it um, yet, but I would would like to see that. But uh, that was the first uh, time that a Polish film ever won the Palme d'Or. And as I mentioned earlier, Agnieszka Holland was um, making her first. Uh, feature uh, this year as well so there's you know it's um it feels like this moment when you know polish cinema was kind of about to blow up into something pretty significant of course poland ended up 
uh, you know, descending into martial law just, uh, just a few months later. Um, so it, it became a, a kind of different scene there, but, um, this, this feels like the year that this, 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 this almost, you know, is, is a part one of a two-parter for us because he made these movies a bit concurrently, um, both of which were not released, uh, after they were made, they were both shelved. Um, but this feels like this sort of culmination of his early period. And I think what we'll see moving forward is, is going to be a lot different, both in style and in, in subject matter. All right. Um, well, so that's short working day. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Matt, um, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we rank these things around here. Yeah. Uh, you get to do the whole shebang. I know you haven't seen some of these early ones, um, but uh, where where would you put Short Working Day uh, and and sort of what I guess your favorite is Decalogue. You kind of already gave that away, right? Yeah, catch out of the bag on that one. Um, <laughs> my favorite is Decalogue. Uh, after that, I would probably I I mean I I find myself connecting more with those late film yeah. so after that i would probably uh go with veronique i tend to just sort of lump the three colors together and be kind of non-committal on those so i'm just gonna <laughs> put them all in there three colors oh you cheater <laughs> <laughs> okay gun, gun to my totally head. fine totally gun, fine gun to my head red blue white oh nice all right just by number what is your favorite uh, Decalogue episode. Uh, I think the one that I think about the most is probably number one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that, that one's that one's a that one's a tough watch. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's something. Um, I did. I don't want to endorse this too much because I wrote it a really long time ago, and uh, it might be terrible. Um, but I did write a super long analysis of Decalogue. Oh, great. Nobody, nobody should read because it's way too many words. But if you want to know like <laughs> we what I think it. about one of them or thought about it like however many years ago, it's out there. If there's one thing we do before we record this show, it's read way, way too many words. All right, Travis, <laughs> where, where you at? Uh, as usual, when we talk about these movies, I always have like... Things change, things grow in my estimation, things you know move move around because having these conversations really helps put things in perspective and, and my thoughts about the movie. Uh, but Short Working Day still stays exactly where I thought it would be. <laughs> um, so I'm still I'm still putting the scar at the bottom. It's too messy, too tonally messy. Um, it kind of kind of falters in a lot of its uh, technique and what it wants to do. It has a lot of stylistic flourishes of experimentation that kind of don't really hold for me. Um, but then I still, you know, a short working day comes right after it now. I think it's good. It's entertaining to watch, but. Like I said, the the way that I found it entertaining was to compare it to a horror movie and draw those parallels. Otherwise than that, I think he's he's covered the concept of the workers' strike a lot more subtly and nuanced than something like the calm, like that tension between management and workers. 
Um, and then, you know, building a character that's sympathetic and someone who kind of like has my sympathies. It, he has, he, he didn't make that connection. And so it kind of falls back because the other movies, there's always somewhere in there that I kind of relate to. So the next one, you know, short, a short working day, then personnel, the calm, and then camera buff. Um, I think that's my order as of now, Matt, what do you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. No uh, yeah. Gonna, hopefully later we're going to start arguing about which Someday. number decalogue. Yeah, we like exactly. More. We're going to get into a fist fight over a short film about <laughs> killing. Um, it's going to be a short podcast about killing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, I don't know that I will go back to the scar uh, anytime soon, if ever. Um, but I could see watching this movie again. Um, and I could see it getting funnier and or scarier, um, the more I, the more I watch it. Um, and, and, and I do think the ending, it it does have this kind of like bizarre, creepy vibe to it in the same way that I was, I was pretty personally affected by the calm. Um, they, they have, um, the, these, those two movies, I think those two TV movies, they really, um, do have a lot of, um, a lot of weight at the end. I think, I think he, he was, he was starting to put something together there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's where we are. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, uh, to talk about, uh, short working day for a long, uh, talking podcast <laughs> and uh thank you very much that's for that. also the last pun that i'm gonna make about this title which i've been doing throughout the week uh, so congr- congratulations you don't have to listen to any more of those but it was a pleasure to have you on i greatly appreciate it it was a pleasure yes. to be on yes matt it was nice to actually talk to you in real life instead of just online so thank you very much for uh, being a part of this so, Travis, uh, next time we will be covering Blind Chance, which is a movie with a, a beautiful uh, solo Blu-ray release with extras. We're going to stretch out. Oh, We're going to relax. I don't, have to hunt. I don't have to hunt for this film or, or hold it hostage from my local library. And, and we might actually get listeners this time. It's going to be exciting. People who have, heard, people who have seen the movie. <laughs> I know. I, I, I wonder sometimes if people like hold out to f- see these earlier movies so, not, so they can be uh, chronologically complete with uh, the same right. way that we do. But I got a feeling a lot of people just Skip pop in for their chance. favorites. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I will admit well, to a backlog of the complete episodes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I'm I'm not deleting them. I have every intention of watching the movie. Well, the, hard, yeah, but... and one, the scar and and camera buff are going to become more widely available in in just a a little over a week. So uh, that'll be exciting for everybody. Um, but yeah, the, this we're moving into the um, the world of of. Uh, well-known Kieślowski movies, so it, it's exciting, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this movie. It's a it's a fun one. I'm really hoping that Criterion picked up these TV movies that uh, Arrow had um, as part of kind oh, of oh, like they could do it on camera towards... buff, yeah, 
oh, it'd be so lovely to have some of these movies peppered in. Yeah. Because um, they they are worth watching completely. Like just there's nothing. There hasn't been a wasted moment. I haven't come away from any of his movies or these discussions saying, "Well, that was a big waste of time." Agreed. Um, yeah. You know they're great. So I guess that means that for another week we're complete. Twenty Fifth Frame Media dot com, a listener supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide.